This is Marketing Heroes Unfiltered, the journey to CMO, the podcast where we interview high-achieving B2B marketing professionals to know their stories, struggles, and insights in this fast-paced and competitive industry. Hosted by Leslie Carruthers and Danny Muscaplat, Fahad Zahid, Senior Director, Brand and Digital Marketing for the PGA of America, is a digital marketing expert with deep experience leading teams, building and inspiring great digital marketing, digital products, growing traffic, and revenue. He blurs the line between strategy, creative, and UX. Driven by a passion for new technology and embracing change, Fahad is Agile certified. So this is a podcast about marketing heroes, and that's why you're here. Thank you for making time, Fahad. Good to be here. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So let's start off with, how do you start your day? I start my day every day thinking about what I've got to achieve for that particular day. But really, it goes back like we're in golf. We're in the business of golf. So we kind of look at it from a seasonality perspective. So golf has championship season and then there's sort of off season and you know then we kind of go into planning so depending on which quadrant of the year we're in it's very really different but really I, I i wake up every day planning out that day i don't really think about the day after and the day after because like that. that's just overwhelming so as every marvel movie will tell you every hero has an origin story so will you share with us a little bit of your origin story how did you get to be the Fahad we know today Sure. I, uh, this all started, this, the, the enigma that is Fahad. It all, this, all, this all started. I, I, I graduated out of college with like a you know, business degree with uh, computer science as a minor. And uh, I went into project management with a software company. And it was my first job out of college. It was cool because it was like 95% travel. But it wasn't like anywhere cool. It wasn't like New York City. It would be like Anson, Texas, population <laughs> five, one stop sign, a Dairy Queen maybe, right? And so obviously they targeted young college grads with no family and kids because the travel. This is back in, I'm dating myself a little bit. This is back in 2005. So right around that time when I was um, traveling a lot, I just started like a, being bored in like a, a comfort in or a days in, not a whole lot to do. I just started creating like an HTML website and I started selling t-shirts on eBay. It just kind of became a whole separate thing. About a year later, I wanted to go to grad school and I decided to quit my job and go to grad school, get my MBA. And um, my very first project in business school was like, you have to start a business and like a fake business and write a business plan. Well, I was like, well, I already have a business. Like, I'll just use my little side hustle. Lo and behold, you know, that business rent that turned into like a $200 a month profit to, you know, we started grossing over a mil in about three years, went from zero employees to 20 employees and uh, contractors included, and then uh, sold that off to a competitor after nine years or eight years. And I learned a ton in my job. This was like the first like non brick and mortar t-shirt business with like an embroidered logo on it. And most places, you know, back in the day, you'd go to the mall, there's a little, you know, stitching place and you they'd do the logo for you. This is all like 100% online. Samples were done digitally. The website was optimized. I mean, as much as it could be back in 2005 or 2006. All the ads were paid search. So I got really, really comfortable with, with Google AdWords. This really forced me to learn digital a lot and forced me to learn marketing a lot. I wasn't a marketer. I wasn't really digitally versed by nature. But like this little side project really got me and then it turned to a full-time job. So 
I was the guy in charge of all of the marketing operations for the company. So it really turned me into an all in. And if I, if I wasn't hands to keyboard, I probably wouldn't be where I am right now. But that really sparked plug the whole That's thing. That's great. Awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Very cool. Yeah. What are three things that looking back, whether they're habits or events or decisions that you made that have you looking back, has you be where you are now? Wow, I guess all of them. Right. If I wouldn't make any of those decisions, I wouldn't be here. But that's an interesting question. Right. Because it's two ways to answer it. There's like the whole like, I wish I can go back and change things. And I kind of don't. Right. Because a lot of those those decisions, good, bad or ugly, were learning, learning moments and opportunities and coaching opportunities for me. If I were to say three, I think starting up my own business at a young age, that was the biggest one, just because that decision was really forced me to do a lot of things, get out of my comfort zone and learn new things where I think I probably would have stuck with the project management sort of role and who knows where I would have been. I'm not sure. So that's one. The second one that comes to mind is the failures that I had, right? I think those are like the big, big ones. You know, Danny, when we were at TR, I think one of the biggest failures I think I can think about is we were trying to, we have this really highly matrixed organization and we're trying to kind of bring it all together. And from a marketing standpoint, we really thought agile methodology was the way to go, right? Like let's yeah, make everything yeah. agile. You remember that, Danny, like marketing, marketing agility and like this, that. And I think in theory, that was great. I really do. Like culturally, we just weren't there, right? Like that was a, like it, it failed. It didn't work because culturally the way marketing was done, whether it was be, you know, lack of training or resources or whatever, we were just in a really waterfall way of marketing processes. So although we tried, I think that was a good lesson learned. Like you can have the right skill set and you can have the right like approach, but that culture mind shift wasn't there and I just didn't complete the picture. So I think those two like big learning moments in life. And I think the last one was, which is probably the biggest is when we were selling the business that I had started, it's called Golf Shirts Wholesale, and we're selling to a larger competitor. I think there was a point in the negotiations where like you end up thinking that you're like the next Zuckerberg <laughs> and like you're just going to demand whatever you want and then like you're just going to get whatever you want. I think one thing that I learned in business and just in ethics and negotiation was like greed is not a good thing. And I think at that time, just being a little too greedy, asking for too much, and it ended up just didn't working out. Right. But like negotiation tactics aren't exactly. I think you should kind of level set your expectations. One. Great. Thanks. Hey, Fahad, is there a big gnarly problem that you've dealt with recently that you've had to unravel? And if so, can you share what it is and what your approach was? Yeah, look, I, I'm very fortunate. I, uh, I work in sports. I love sports and I, I love golf and I, I get to lead the PJ of America's marketing, right? And it's, it's awesome. The job that I have is like kind of twofold, right? It's We've got 28,000 PGA professionals that we sort of serve, right, as an organization. And we have two really, two or three, four really big commercial assets, like the Ryder Cup, PGA Championship, Men's and Women's Championship. Those are really, really big assets. But what's one of the latest things that has sort of come up is like, and I'm prefacing all that to let you guys know as a marketer, my job is to grow the game of golf. I want Danny playing golf. I want Leslie playing golf. I want Danny's kids playing golf. I want Danny's neighbors playing golf. I want everyone playing golf, right? And what's happened is there's this National Golf Foundation, which kind of is like the entity that oversees all the data behind golfers and rounds played. Well, for the first time ever, we have 
40.1 million golfers in America. So awesome, right? It's like the highest number we've ever had. For the first time ever, we have more off-the-course golfers than on-the-course golfers. And the difference is on-the-course is like your regular 18-hole, you know, caddy, all that stuff, cart. Off-the-course is like miniature golf, top golf, things like that. It's still golf, right? Sticks and hands. But the data that that's telling us that that might be a problem or not a problem, but an opportunity is those on-the-course golfers that also play off-the-course are the most engaged so they buy the most golf equipment. They get the most amount of lessons from PGA coaches. They view the most amount of golf on TV. And all those commercial things add up to revenue, right, at the end of the day for the golf industry. It's a $90 billion industry. So now the, um, the latest challenge for us is how do we get, how do we convince these 15 million off-the-course golfers to become on-course golfers? That's been a fun, challenging project and like a, a new thing that I think the entire golf industry is trying to solve, right? Because we don't want we don't want people to just I mean, we love the fact that there's top golfs and I think it's a great entry point into golf. But like I wouldn't want someone to just go to top golf and never ever step foot on what we call green grass facilities, right? I want them to experience the euphoric euphoria of going and playing around a golf and and then eventually, selfishly, that turns into them buying golf equipment and golf shirts and then watching golf. And like, that's the whole premise behind all this. That's a good one. So that's yeah, a hard one. Good, good, good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. I'm going to need one. it. <laughs> that's really interesting. In our work and, and Danny's with his team, too, we find that there are certain problems that cycle that never quite go away. So it might be retention, team, bandwidth time to results, what, knowing what's working, what isn't working. What for you is an evergreen problem or something and, and anything that you'd like to share about uh, creative ways to handle any of those? I think this is an evergreen problem with most organizations, maybe besides a handful is like, how do we use our data to be better? How do we be more data centric? Like, I think it almost becomes a buzzword. We're data centric, we're data focused, we mine data, 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 right? And then like, well, what does that mean? And we're, we're going with the same thing, right? Like I, my dream goal is I want to know every single golfer in America. I want to know where they're living. I want to know how many rounds of golf they've played. I don't, I just everything, like I want like Facebook data on everybody, right? Like the creepy <laughs> data that Facebook has, like I want that on, on, on everybody. But that's hard, that's hard to achieve. And the funny thing about that is, Again, most organizations do this. There's like there's like this collection of data and then there's like a million ways to splice and dice that data and use it. So data is useless until you have it. And then it's even more useless unless you know how to use it. So the one struggle that we have is, you know, we want to we want to make sure we leverage all that data want to put it in a singular place. And, you know, we have a roadmap for that. And we're working on it. But that's an evergreen problem because that the evolution of data is also going to change as a marketer. Right. Like there's privacy laws. There is cookie-less browsers now, so it's harder to collect data. Third-party data is kind of going out the window. It's more first-party data. And then the kicker to that is, yeah, you want to collect first-party data, but, like, what's the incentive for someone for you to give you first-party data? Then it goes back to content, like, how good is your content? And now you're saying, well, as a golf entity, I'm competing with Netflix. I'm competing with ESPN. I'm competing with Peloton. I'm competing with YouTube. I'm competing with uh, – we've got – newer sports coming in. We've got newer games coming in. The attention span of a human being is tiny. So it all like kind of goes back to like, I need my data, but I need people to give me data. But in order for me to, for people to give me data, I need to have good content. So like, yeah. where does it start? 
it's it's ongoing and it's it's going to continue. And pickleball's now here, and they're trying to kick everyone's <laughs> ass. And like, where are these guys going to come? Come on, pickleball. Come on, pickleball. Back off. <laughs> Back off. No That's one right. invited you, pickleball. No one invited you. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. That's great. I have an interesting question for you. And it's it's interesting because of your age and how you started your career in the digital space with your own company. How do you think marketing has changed just during the span of your career? Oh, my gosh. I think like, so I go back, this is a conversation. It's like an interesting one, right? Because I've got young sister-in-laws in their 20s and like experienced the world without like, rotary dial phones or like landlines. I have no idea. They don't know what a pager is or cassette players and all that stuff. Right. So I feel like, like I grew up in a spot and, and Danny, I think we're similar. You might be a little younger, but we kind of grew up in like the pre-internet, yeah. then internet, and then like post-internet and internet and then like web 2.0 and going into three. So marketing has sort of evolved in the same way, right? Like where, when I first started, it was mostly like the digital ad spend for companies was probably 10% maybe. You know, it's mostly out of home, you know, TV, print, your traditional media. You know, that was more of a spray and pray kind of a thing. And it worked, right? Like, I remember, like, there's some companies that are in the clothing industry that literally their 100% of their marketing budget back in the 80s was ads in uh, the back of, like, the airlines and magazines in the seat back pockets. Like, that was it. That was a huge revenue driver for a lot of companies because it was like... Back then in the 80s, 70s, you had high net worth individuals that were flying. It was like a big thing. So those people getting their attention was huge. Well, that's shifted quite a bit, as you know. Now it's more about the right message to the right person at the right time. We talked about these competing content things that are happening. So I'll tell you the evolution that I've seen in like a quick 30 second. So initially, I would say digital even was paid search. Paid search was the way to go because... Facebook at the time um, and display ads at the time just didn't really have the targeting that was like accurate, right? It was just like, and you didn't really get the reporting that you wanted. Paid search at least was like a one-to-one and you can get some sort of reporting. And then targeting got better on Facebook, right? To, to the people that ran it to their credit and the content got better and the algorithm got better. So now the shift, you know, from that 10% just in, you know, in digital on Facebook turned into more of a 20% and a 30%. And now you look at that shift and it's like, I got to, I got to, if you're a marketer, I've got to spend my, if I have a hundred percent of a budget, I got to look at streaming. I have to look at apps. I have to look at influencers. I have to look at, yeah. you know, like all of it. Like, you know, you got to, now you got like five other channels you got to go through and it's going to continue to change. So the evolution from seat back pocket magazine guy to all in digital, then omni channel with, with TV and, and and linear streaming and all that stuff and radio, I mean, it's still a thing. Radio is kind of dying and print's dying, but there's still yeah. a wide audience there. So yeah, it's, that's, it's a, that's a great contrast. Printed materials on a plane to ads during streaming media. That's a big shift. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And TikTok <laughs> came. What the hell? Pickleball and TikTok <laughs> ruined our lives. I like it. Really TikTok channel. Oh my gosh. I love that we're going glass half empty on pickleball though. That's just. (laughs) Given all that, what advice would you have for the young marketers? What are you telling your sister-in-laws? What are you? I'm telling them to be more data centric. I think that's, it's like when marketers will come in, I think it's like a, a very, very fine line between creative and qualitative, right? Like the creative side is like visionary and colors and content and 
cool stuff. And the qualitative side is like the boring fun, like not as fun stuff, right? Looking at data and like, who wants to do that? I don't want to do that. I don't look at data. I don't look at numbers. I hate numbers, right? Like just do the numbers for me and just tell me. But I think it's like a skill set that I think most marketers need to leverage going forward is just being more data driven because um, assumption is most likely going to be wrong. And uh, your data is going to tell you otherwise. The best piece of advice or best like sort of business acumen was from the the founder of O.com. I was at a conference when he said, you know what? If you listen to your customers, they'll tell you how to run your business. And I believe that, right? That's just like qualitative data analysis. And you think like the best thing I'm selling online is this, but it may not be. So my advice to young marketers is to understand and how to leverage data. Sounds like and talk to your customers. What keeps you up at night? Depends on uh, the type of night it is. I've got a two-year-old and uh, sometimes he keeps me up. But uh, no, I think what keeps me up at night is how do we get more hands and and how do like, again, I'm very fortunate that like my, what's keeping you up at night is not like, I don't work for a, uh, anymore, I don't work for a, a publicly traded company where we have to worry about quarterly earnings and what's our share price and revenue, which I'm really, really blessed but it's a different set of problem. Like my problem is like, how do we grow the game of golf? And how do we help our 28,000 PGA professionals that are, could be your golf instructors or could be the people that are running your local top golf facility, or they could be working at like your local, you know, municipal course, right? Like how do we enable those people? Cause those are the lifeline of the golf industry. So yeah, I mean, what's keeping me up at night is to, to get more sticks and hands. And Danny, I expect by this time next year that, you're telling me that you play a lot of golf. And I'm all in. You're in it. I'm all in. There you you send me the gear and I'll find a course. <laughs> Fair trade. <laughs> you got it. All right. Fair trade. Nice. Looking back on your career, Fahad, is there anything you'd change? Yeah, it goes back to that question of like, well, if I, if I change anything in my career, I probably wouldn't be where I am right now. So no, I don't think so. I think like what I would do is like, I will say this. I was probably... As a young marketer, I was probably like, you know, in the little test that you do, your personality test, I was like the collaborative guy, right? And things a fine line between being collaborative and like knowing to push back. And I had trouble with that earlier on in my career. It taught me lessons to get me where I'm at right now. But no, I think like the only thing I would change is I'd probably be more assertive in my decision making. But again, it kind of all worked out. So I'm pretty happy. Yeah, yeah. got it. Oh, that's, that's the th- interesting thing about that question and the people we're talking to, Yeah. right? They're rock stars. So looking back, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the answers are really interesting yet. Yeah, you're well, yeah. you're welcome. It's kind of <laughs> obvious, dude. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm marketing for the PGA. <laughs> boom. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, we just got off another, we just, you're the second recording we've done today. And, and we interviewed the CMO for um, LBMC.com. I mean, oh. She's a rock star. Yeah, for sure. Danny asked her the same question and her answer was just fantastic. She's like, yeah, I would have taken more risks. I took risks, but I would have taken more. You know, who knows if she'd done that earlier. So it's just, yeah, it's like really interesting. It really is. You know, I think like, um, I think back and, you know, I've had great experiences in every company that I've been at. And um, it's really like the people that you learn from, like you're not going to learn anything at the company. It's the people that you learn from, like, you know, people like work with like Danny and some of my, some of the other peers that we had there. Like you take a little bit of something from everybody and you hope to like use it, use your brain as a sponge and, and bring that. Like Danny's got one of the best personalities of anyone that I've met. Like Danny's like a true storyteller, right? And like 
if there's one asset that I could steal from Danny, it'd be like his his visionary way of like like showing a deck and like the visionary storytelling that he has. So I'm envious of that. But I but I did like I like I try to incorporate some of the things that I learned from Danny into some of the work that I have now, okay, which man. is all well, ditto. I learned so much from you too. That was a that was a great team. That was a that was a brotherhood. Oh, it was awesome. Really. Do you have a, yeah. a a burning topic of? Uh, passion theme we've had some people talk about ai we had one person kathy said banning books is like a really big thing for her keeps her up at night do you have something like that i do and i think it's like it's not really marketing related it's just like the burning topic that i have is sports and how polarized we are as a nation just about everything that we do our political climate has like significantly changed over the last, you know, eight years, I'd say, maybe longer, maybe less. And I think that has had an impact on every single sector, whether it's the, you know, obviously the government sector, the private sector. And that's kind of come into sports as well, where like everything is really, really polarized and everything is could be taken negatively. And like we have to be so as a brand, like I'm I'm in charge of brand and marketing at the at the at the PGA. So and I'm not saying right, wrong, or other, but like there is a lot more thought and consideration into every piece of asset that we put out than we probably would have done, you know, five, ten, you know, years ago. And it's good in a way because now we're more sensitive and we're more welcoming and we just understand right more. And it's also like just adds a little bit more stress and more work into our day to day jobs, right? So the burning topic that I have is polarization and how it like kind of boils over into sports. Traditionally, we've looked at sports as like some people look at it as an outlet. Like I want to escape all that, right? And I just want to watch sports. And um, oftentimes, that's kind of boiling over into sports. And I have no problem with anyone that's outspoken if that's one that's you know if you want to use sports as a platform is different. But I think like with any industry, right? Entertainment, sports, finance, tech, everything is under a microscope. And uh, that could be challenging at times. Like it's just the poly, and you're not going to make everyone happy. There's always going to be that sub segment. You know, whichever political leanings you have, it doesn't matter one way or the other. There's always going to be a subset that's just going to look for their best interest and use you as a scapegoat or as an example. And it just thinks that it's kind of boiled over into more ways than than one. Burning topic. That's a good one. Sports opinion. That's a good one. That's a big one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Fahad, you want to go in the hot seat? We're going to do some rapid fire questions. I thought I was on the hot seat. Is there a hotter uh, this seat? Is the hot, this is the chili <laughs> Yeah, this it's is the chili seat. seat. This is it. Here we go. All right. No, this is just rapid fire, super easy questions. It's really, really fun. So first question, yeah. Fahad, if your career was a movie, who plays you? Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, All right. What's your favorite KPI? Oh, uh, nice. conversion. First job, yes. worst job. First job, Indian movie store. Yeah, we had those in Dallas. Uh, worst job was door-to-door sales. Oh, what were you selling? Oof, don't ever do it. Pizza, Pizza coupons. coupons. Do people yeah. slam the door in your face and say we're having dinner yeah. get out of here? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. All of that. It's terrible. Nice. This is before we had Cole Hans, so like the shoes were bad. It was just <laughs> a bad luck. Yeah. What's your favorite productivity hack? Productivity hack. Ooh, it's recently become uh, Chad GPT. Nice. Fun. Mm-hmm. Nice. What's the last okay. book you read? Last book I read was a book by Dirk Nowitzki, who was one of my favorite athletes, and it was sort of like his nice. biography. Awesome. 
who is the most fascinating contact on your phone? Ooh, oh man, that's a good one. So now it was very different before I got, this is rapid fire. I'm just going to say my boss, Jeff Price. He is really fascinating. If you could be famous for one thing, what would it be? Changing the world in a positive way. Is there something you've dreamed of doing for a long time, but haven't done? Yeah, I am deathly scared of heights and I wanted to learn how to like, I wanted to bungee jump or skydive and I still, I won't, I haven't done it. Haven't overcome that fear. I believe in you. I would not do it with you, but I believe in you and your ability to go do it, not with me. (laughs) Uh, What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? Um, That I make people feel good about themselves. That is a good one. Mm. Describe yourself in five words. Curious, empathetic, uh, hungry, like physically <laughs> and like mentally, but mostly physically. <laughs> um, I said empathetic. Curious, empathetic, hungry, uh, driven, and I would say lastly, Danny, rapid, rapid question back to you. Describe me. Um, uh, um, uh, charismatic, endearing, authentic. Thank you. I did say cool. He said cool before Before you joined. I'm like, you're going to like cool. Cool. I did say that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have a nickname? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I do. I started cooking like during the whole pandemic and I coined myself. My name is Fahad. So I started calling myself Chef Fahizi. So now people just call me Fahizi. Love it. (laughs) All right. That's it. That's the speed round. That wasn't too bad, was it? Okay. It was pretty good. Yeah, I like it. And then uh, if you have a few minutes, we'd love it if you'd pay it forward and suggest a couple of other folks we should have on the podcast. Oh, yeah, that'd be a good one. Are, are you looking for a certain segment or like I can introduce you to a bunch of people in sports, but I don't know if that's. I was going to say any any yeah. segment we're looking for heads of CMOs, people who have something to say to the next generation, people who've got a cool story, you know, but in the segment doesn't really CMO, VP marketing, it could even be a director level person at a very large organization if they're doing something that, you know, really makes a difference and they have something to say. Cool. Do you want me to, is it okay if I just think about it? Absolutely. All right, man. Well, thank you for this. This was a blast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. I'll hit up on the side. We'll catch up soon. Pleasure meeting you. All right. Take care. All right. See you guys. Bye. Thank you for staying tuned. If you're enjoying these conversations, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It really helps us to increase the podcast's reach. Thank you. See you next week with more inspiring stories. This episode of Marketing Heroes is brought to you by The Search Guru, produced by Circle Audio, and podcast cover art by Andra Lazorde.